It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb and Eric. Listen in as they discuss a variety of topics, such as modern Star Trek, the classic Doctor Blu rays, to entertain, and more. they release like the newest episode of Discovery, or it might be the last, I'm not sure but still, newest episode of Discovery the same day as new episode of Picard Oh, that dropped today? Damn, I thought that was dropping tomorrow I Damn. Well, I could be wrong about one or the other but, because sometimes the TV Showtime app is not 100% like, sometimes it shows me stuff a day in advance Um mm. But but according to it, they're both out now. Oh, so it's not like you watched the newest episode or anything like that? No, because I just checked it like an hour ago just to see what was out. And I was like, oh, look, both of those sure. stupid shows at the same time. <laughs> no, I just think it's dumb when, uh, when yeah. you're like a streaming service and, and, you know, and, you, and you overlap your quote-unquote tentpole programs. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's fair whatever who wants to double up on those shows i mean who that's like <laughs> goddamn. or fine have them out concurrently but but why release the new episodes on the same day as well that that seems a little silly too yeah, maybe they don't have faith in either show maybe if we have both out we'll get some good numbers however with the streaming shows i do appreciate when they release them weekly as opposed to like bulk release I just think it's such a terrible idea um, mm. how Netflix usually does things. Yeah, I don't feel like I have enough of an opinion because I don't watch enough shows to really... Sometimes it's nice when it's when I can commit and I'll just be like, okay, I'm just going to go through it all at once because I always fall off TV shows. That's all fine if you want to do that after the fact, but I felt it strongly because, you know, I've always been a big fan of uh, Stranger Things from day one and... I was a huge fan of like Daredevil when it first came out and those Marvel shows and 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 when those things would come out or things like those shows everybody would be talking about it for about a week and then but certainly by 2 weeks in it was it would just be like oh yeah what's what okay it's all done what what's next to talk about and I always thought with the traditional TV model um, but I mean, it extended to cable as well. Uh, but like with shows like Lost, The Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, especially um, when Walking Dead was in its heyday, it was all about that weekly interval of talking about it and speculating and what's going to happen next week. And like, 
and you'd have that buzz and that talk and interest for the entire run of the season. But then, like I said, these popular shows would come out on Netflix, and at the most, you get two weeks of people talking about it, and then, and then people just completely forget. And especially with, like, Stranger Things, the structure of the show... Um, I mean, the way the story would unfold episodically, I always felt it would have been so much more fun to consume it in weekly chunks and to, like, marinate on each episode before you get to the next one. And then it hurt me as a viewer because with those shows, Daredevil and Stranger Things, like, I felt compelled to finish them as quickly as possible. For two one, because I was so wrapped up in them and, like, as soon as one episode ended... I, I just like, oh, I gotta play the next one. I gotta play the next one. And, um, but also because of that thing of like, you know, spoilers are gonna be out there. People are gonna be talking about the end. So right. that's another reason why it's like, oh I, oh, I can't wait. I gotta like just watch it. And it was really bad for me for Daredevil season one and even worse, I think, for season two. Um, because it might have been season two. It was one of those seasons. I started watching it. Like, like at 9 p.m. one night or something and I was like oh this is so good and like I said I couldn't stop watching like when one went in I had to start the other and I ended up and it was like on a, during the work week or something I ended up like go, like pulling an all-nighter and like watching <laughs> half the season like I went from like 9 p.m. to like 6 in the morning had to get ready for work whatever came back like finished the Finished the whole season in a 24-hour period during the work week. It was, it was horrendous. Yeah, that's fair. It was terrible. But I couldn't stop. I couldn't. I was like, oh, just, <laughs> oh, every episode was ending like a, like a mini cliffhanger. Oh, it was bad. But uh, <laughs> I see all those shows are about to end up on Disney Plus right now, which is a little bit weird. But Yeah. I saw some uh, like stupid parents group was like complaining and were like, Oh, if this was on uh, Disney Plus, what are we gonna see in Disneyland? Are they just gonna have like their little sleaze land area? And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like a joke? <laughs> uh, somebody's gaslighting you in that article. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if it was a parody or not. I was like, what the hell? Well, no. Even <laughs> if it's serious, they're still fucking with you. Or like I, like whenever I see a headline that like like gets me twisted, I no, this is gonna be so, like I know I'm gonna click on it, and read it. It's gonna be so super stupid. It's just a stupid headline. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Did you watch the um, Kenobi trailer? Oh no, I didn't. Nope, haven't seen that yet. Well, didn't even know it came out. You, know, you might want to take two minutes or not. Uh, it's a little teaser trailer. Sure, I'll take a look. Go for it. See how he's looking these days. Sexy man. Can't believe they got Joel Edgerton back. Is that the guy who plays Lars? Your uh, uh, Uncle Owen. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't expecting that. And I was like, of course, that makes sense. Uh, just wasn't thinking about it until I saw his face. Um, yeah, he looked about the same, too. Didn't, didn't look too much older. Weird. A little bit, maybe, in the hair coloring. But, um, so, yeah, you know, obviously, I've watched it a couple times. And I was like, okay. And I haven't seen, I haven't searched out broad reaction, but from the Star Wars YouTubers I follow, they all seem to be stoked. They all had a very positive reaction to that trailer and, and felt that it, it 
it is it appears to be yeah i don't know delivering what whatever it is they want the show to deliver um oh that's good the only thing that, the only thing that threw me because it just judging the teaser on its own it didn't knock it out of the park for me and the reason was some of the effects looked a little mm. subpar for me even at the very beginning opening when they showed tatooine okay uh, that looked really sharp and nice but then when they show obi-wan on whatever those creatures are called at a distance but that just looks cgi to me obi-wan on top of the little creature um mm-hmm. and then whatever that black stealth looking ship is that looked like an unfinished special effect to me i'm assuming it is finished though but it looked like a previs or something like the ship looked like a cgi ship in front of a different background and that bothered me a bit i'm just being nitpicky but they've already shown what they can do um with the disney plus shows or even the effects in the stupid star trek paramount shows so i have like you know super high standards for these things um and i guess tattooing when when they're walking on the streets i guess it looks similar to book of boba fett which also would make sense Uh, yeah um it's just some of the effects i was like i mean i guess they would probably use the void too i'm assuming since it's all disney i mean it's different production crew somewhat it's not the filoni team per se oh i could even that first like desert shot you can just see that it's the volume Hmm. i don't know what it is but there's something about it that i can just it just is very noticeable for whatever reason and it's not as like terrible as like people being matted in, but there's just some sort of sheen that it adds to things that just adds a little bit of unreality to it. They need to do like uh, Vianuv did uh, for Dune, um, shoot it digital and then print it on celluloid. I told you about that, right? Yep. Blew my mind, and so now whenever I watch the 4K movie like i just like stare at stare at it like really i could get really close to the tv just to see if i can tell like any celluloid imperfections <laughs> like i've always thought that would be a good idea for someone to actually do and i'm just blown away that somebody mm-hmm. actually did that and i i think like um especially low budget indie movies and especially of the horror genre but it doesn't have to be horror and i'm talking about modern because you know how there's like a slew of like in the last 10, 15 years, there's been so many low-budget, digitally shot, direct-to-video type movies. Um, uh, I mean, some are good, but yeah. whatever. But there's just a lot of them. And especially those lower-budget type movies of smaller scope or street-level type stuff. I always felt that they would just look so much better if they were shot on 16 millimeter stock film mm-hmm. uh, and er- like everything else could be exactly the same just shoot it on 16 millimeter and so fine i get it that's not really feasible to literally shoot it on 16 millimeter these days but fine shoot it on your iphone or your whatever camera <laughs> you're using um like and but fine do that but then why not print out a copy on celluloid film on 16 millimeter and then like like exactly like via did like print it out on 16 millimeter stock and then rescan it 
Um, and I just think, God, it would just make so many movies just look like better. Um, like you don't need to go full grindhouse and add artificial stressing or all that craziness. You don't got to do that. Just, but just do what I said, or do thirty-five millimeter or sixteen millimeter, whatever. And I just think movies like, um, and the movie looks fine as it is, but something like um, a Quiet Place, or mm. um, oh yeah, the, the one what's I always I don't know I always forget the title of the. Is it No Way Out? Oh, Get Out. Get Out. Get Out. I always call it No Way Out. Yeah. No. Hopefully. Hopefully that'll become more of an industry standard, but I don't know if you know what they've been doing with the lower budget horror stuff now. They just add on a cheap digital grain filter, and it's so obvious. It's 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 painful how obvious it is. Well, see, that's what I'm saying. That doesn't. That's why that doesn't work. Because I used to think, oh, there's surely there's a way to do that, like create a digital filter that can mimic it. But yeah, you can always tell, as you say, and so that's why the Villeneuve answer is like the best answer yeah i feel like most people wouldn't even be able to tell they would just be like the movie looks a little weird it, it almost looks like it has like digital noise over it or something mm-hmm. but me knowing that that's kind of a movement with lower crap it's just like oh there's that cheap filter again they keep throwing on things so <laughs> the re- recent uh, texas chainsaw movie had that and i was just like oh god because uh, like when i watch a movie like Mm, I see it all the time, but uh, what did I watch recently? Um, like a movie like Eighth Grade or The Edge of Seventeen. Um, like those movies are perfectly fine. I like I enjoy those movies. I like that genre. For I've always had like the coming of age genre, but those movies are perfectly fine as they are. But they're just mm-hmm. shot so perfectly digitally, you know, and it, it just it. It, it cheapens things to me because it makes them look like a like a modern you know HD shot television show like it's just too perfect mm. um, or it looks like shot on iPhone and uh, and that's because again I'm a fan of the genre that's what's so nice when you watch a, a high def or even 4k if you're lucky version of something like the 80s John Hughes movies like 16 candles or pretty in pink or whatever any of those but just because they were shot on film like it just ah and it's like so missing to me in those modern movies oh but you reminded me of a a topic i was going to bring up a little bit a little while ago um it's about star wars again yeah one of my issues that just kept it it cropped up a little bit in mandalorian but it got especially worse in book of boba is I feel like the flat television lighting standard that they do on those shows does not suit the practical effects at all. Like, there were so many scenes of, like, uh, Boba Fett having his little, like, mob group where he's like, oh, let's bring all these different mob leaders in. And it's Uh just this flat lighting, and it made their masks and things just stand out so badly. And I was like, "Just, just dim the lighting. Don't make it so just bland and even everywhere. Like, have some artistry with that, and you could make this look so much better. It's interesting because I, I did not have that thought on my own about the flat lighting, but now that you bring it up, I can see it in my head. And that's weird that that would happen since uh, John Favreau seems so obsessed with lighting as it is. But you're right, that is like a little bit of a calling card on how those Filoni verse shows look. That I just 
never really thought about until until you just said it. And I was also going to ask, because we have Kenobi coming out now. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate these new shows. I feel like they've done some really great work. But I still feel the same thing I felt by the time the prequels ended, where it's like, is Star Wars ever going to be beyond those original movies? Are we going to get, like, actual new things? Well, see, that's the thing. Well, does Mandalorian, etc. count as going past the original movies? Uh, we spent so much time on Tatooine. We're still focused on Luke Skywalker. Mandalorian's basically like, let's give Boba Fett a character. So it's still playing in that same sandbox for me. Even though they're expanding it, it's still very much in the same sandbox. It is. It is. And I know what you're saying, but... We still get the classic X-Wings all over the place, and... Hmm, I have to think about that for a moment. Or, or a while. Because... <laughs> well, see, as much as I love the Clone Wars series and those other animated ones, and they're overall really great things. I mean, that plus Rebels plus Bad Batch. They're all really good things for what they've added and where they've expanded things. That being said, I don't pretend that they're perfect. Um, and there's obviously a lot of bad episodes of Clone Wars since there's just Sony episodes, period. But but one of the things I, I didn't appreciate in the animated Filoni-verse was that even though they would explore new planets and you would get to more focus on other types of species that didn't get focused before, which I like that, and you learn more about those planets that those certain, some aliens come from, that's cool. But you would always get and i'm not saying they would literally do this but there would be things like as if every sixth episode someone would say i've got a bad feeling about this um mm. uh, like they would always call back to star wars tropes from the original trilogy like all the time and i didn't like that mm -hmm. and i'm not saying like I'm just going to make up some examples. I'm not saying they're real examples, but it'd be like stuff like, oh, how are we going to get out of here? I don't know. Let's go down the trash chute or something, you know, <laughs> or like, you know, they, they would just be redoing things that you'd seen before. And because, yeah, this is kind of familiar. I remember one of the first, I'm not saying it was good, but one of the first epic three or four parters of like Clone Wars season one. You might have seen it if you start at the beginning. Um, did you see this one where there was this? I can't remember if it was the one with the massive Star Destroyer towards the beginning. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. It had like a. It was a Star Destroyer that had like a super laser. Um, I'm not sure if it was that one or not. But there was some episode in season one where they were like trapped inside a. A massive ship and there was all these like motorized conveyors or something and there was this one episode of the three episode four episode arc where they're like going through this wacky conveyor system inside a ship i don't know does that ring any bells for you no it sounds vaguely familiar but i might just be confusing with attack the clones but it just made me think like oh my god this is like a reinterpretation of that droid factory on Genosis, like an attack of the clones. Cause it was just so ridiculous and everyone's all over the place. Or, or like, again, like temple of doom with the mine cars and the, like the slave workshop. Mm. And so there's too, 
if if I if I could fault the animated Floniverse, it's when they would do all these things that were like feel alikes. You know, it'd be like you know how mm-hmm. there's John Williams music, and then you know how there's composers who can do feel alike John Williams music type of music. Yeah, Michael Giacchino. <laughs> no, he's. He, I mean, he does feel alike, but but his are on a different level. Um, like like the score to uh, something like Poltergeist or Gremlins. They sound so mm. Steven Spielberg, John Williamsy, but they're like sound alike. Um, or Goonies or something. Um, <laughs> well, figuratively, that's what I don't like about the filler episodes of Clone Wars because thematically. They're like feel alikes of the original trilogy, and so ugh, that that stuff I don't. That's the one thing I don't like about that that series as a whole is how many times they just have to hammer those Star Wars tropes like over and over. Ugh. Um, but they they haven't done it too badly in the, the live action stuff. Uh, oh, and also yeah, in that teaser. See, it wouldn't mean much to you, but there's a lot of stuff from the Rebel series um, mm. that you, that if you are familiar with the series, you go, "Holy shit!" There's a lot of live action renditions of stuff uh, in that teaser that are like from Rebels, a bunch of characters. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, was that very uh, Harkonnen-looking Inquisitor guy? Yes. Seeing that series? Yes. Mm. I figured he was in one of those shows. There was a whole bunch of them in the teaser, and they're pretty much all in Rebels. But Rebels takes place after, so so this would be the Inquisitor a little bit before. I remember as a teenager, because I by the time Revenge of the Sith came out, I was kind of like, yeah, these prequels are they are what they are, but they don't hold a candle to the original trilogy. And I was only like 11 years old and I was kind of like, yeah, like I'm not that excited for this Revenge of the Sith. It's going to be the same kind of thing we've seen with the other two. And as I went in my teens and all my friends were still in love with Star Wars, they were all obsessed with the books and they would talk about all this stuff. And I started to feel like, man, this Star Wars community, at least among the people I know, feels like super insular. And they're picking all this stuff out of the movies that was never actually in them. It's just in these books. And I wonder if maybe some of the Filoni stuff also has that kind of insular element to maybe not super hard for Star Wars fans. Well, it's like the books in that, yes, mainstream audiences don't really consume the books, the comics, or the animated shows. It's it's the, it's more the hardcore audience. There's no doubt about it. So it, it is insular in that way. Yeah, I don't feel like it's been intrusive for me because... You know, these people show up and I just assume, okay, maybe that's somebody. They're making such a big deal. But it's not things that I feel like I'm being left behind. Like some of the prequel stuff maybe <laughs> ended up being. So I feel like those movies, if you don't see- seek out the extra material, they just don't work at all. Whereas these movies, or these shows, I mean, they work. But There's this one character in the movies, the newer movies. And I'll make a bad comparison to another famous character so like in rogue one you have saw Gerrera, right you remember that oh, yeah. Forrest, Forrest whitaker mm-hmm. <laughs> terrible so okay so it's a bad comparison what i'm about to compare who i'm about to compare him to but 
for the mainstream movie audiences to see this Forrest Whitaker character named Saw Gerrera, he's just like whatever. But it's 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 poorly analogous to if you were watching Wrath of Khan at the movies when it came out. But you had never watched TOS ever, so you'd be like, "Oh, okay." So there's this Ricardo Montalban guy trapped on this deserted planet. But okay, whatever. But then there could be someone versus someone who saw TOS and goes, "Oh my god!" But I, I imagine people probably mm. knew because they probably leaked it before the movie came out, so it probably wasn't a surprise, or not leaked it, but like, intentionally leaked it. Um, mm-hmm. So it probably wasn't a surprise to anybody, but. If you could be like, oh my gosh, this is that guy from one of the episodes. Like, you know? Um, so Saw Gerrera had... He was part of like a... Well, he was introduced like in a three-episode arc um, in Clone Wars. Um, and... But just like Khan in the original series, you wouldn't necessarily think they'd ever revive that person on the big screen. And Sagrero is like that type of person. Like he wasn't like particularly special or anything. Um, you wouldn't think of them to resurrect such a character on screen. <laughs> um, fine, whatever. But it's like, oh wow, it's a guy from Clone Wars. Um, and so, yeah, I mean that's completely lost. Nobody knows who the fuck he was. Nobody cares that he was killed in the movie because he just seemed like some crazy guy. And that was about it. A uh, crazy guy who was like briefly... Yeah, played so terribly. <laughs> who was briefly the adopted father uh, of what's-her-face, Jyn Erso. But, um, but yeah, in Clone Wars, you get to see him as a young man and how his character's infamy, infamy began. Um, of course, he's totally different in Clone Wars than he is... Uh, I mean, Rogue One than he is in Clone Wars because he's much older and he's um, like he's been injured or something so comparing him to his youthful self in Clone Wars is like comparing Vader to Anakin Skywalker yeah it's the same guy but he's like totally different very different yeah I, I remember yeah some podcasts I followed at the time were making a big deal about him and I was like Wow, like really that? I mean, this guy, I, that's when I started to be like, wow, Force Whitaker. He just either doesn't care or he's making a joke out of his movies. Then he did like a very similar kind of performance in uh, Black Panther, and I was like, wow, this guy is just a complete ham now. But it, it does kind of, well, see, maybe, uh, maybe they're doing it on purpose. Because, you know, when you see Obi Wan for the first time, it's obviously in A New Hope. And then, okay, you get to like him, he's the older mentor character. And then he has his his final duel with Darth Vader, and of course he gets killed, and, and you just go, okay, I guess. But you don't know him, you know, because you've only known him for like 60 minutes on screen, you know, and, and you're just like, okay, well, that's that. That's kind of like Sagrera, like you're seeing him at the very end of his life, and you're just kind of like, okay, guy I don't really know anything about. Um... It's kind of like what they did to Cad Bane. If you just watched him on mm. Book of Bubba Fett, like, okay, there's this guy. Oh, he just got beat. In a, okay. But you don't really know anything about him because you just met him. 
It's almost like that guy that Von Zito plays um, at the beginning of Force Awakens. It's like, oh, this is a meaningful yeah. character to Poe, and oh, he's killed, but I don't know who the fuck he is <laughs> or what he's done. Yeah, that that Cad Bane, or I think it's Cad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, ah, uh, like whatever this was supposed to be, it did not play anything for me. I mean, he had this big reveal. And he goes down like a little puss. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I saw all these people online being like, epic, fantastic <laughs> end for this character. And I was like, I I, I don't know. <laughs> Famously, in the off-screen media, Cat Bane is, is infamously known as the one who um, made that dent on Boba Fett's helmet. Um, and the way the lore goes is that because Boba Fett learned such a lesson from that encounter that is why he never got the dent repaired in his helmet. Well, I guess that's fair. <laughs> I don't know if that's fair, but I'm just telling you. <laughs> that's... It's like when Solo got his name. Oh, I'm alone. It's, uh, I guess, Solo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that stuff's not cool. I like that movie, but that stuff is no. not cool. <laughs> it's not. Thankfully, it's a good movie, so you can just kind of push that aside, but boy, oh boy. It's oh, a problem with prequels. Yes, I know, and that's like and I realized that when I said, oh yeah, all those Inquisitors and Rebels. So, well, we know none of them can die. Uh, we know Kenobi mm. can't die, obviously. If they ever show this other important character who may or may not show up, um, if you've watched the other Star Wars stuff, you know that person can't die either until a certain point. Yeah, that is the problem with prequels. Yeah, that reminds me of back when I was a little douchebag kid and Revenge of the Sith was coming out. I was hanging out with my cousin, and we were playing with his Star Wars toys, and he was talking about how excited he was. He was, like, over the moon. And he was like, oh, I can't wait to see it. And I was kind of like, ah, Anakin's going to turn to Darth Vader. Like, we all know this. And I was just kind of like, ah. <laughs> I don't know why I was such a downer. And I even liked it at the time when it came out, but I was kind of like, ah, like, it's just... I had, like, no enthusiasm for that at all. I don't know why. I mean, spoiler for when we talk about that movie, <laughs> but, like... It's so weird to me how the, all three prequels, I had the same kind of feeling when they came out the movies. That I loved them on first viewing. I was so impressed. And then as time went by and I looked back on them, they diminished. Um, and it happened with all three. Um, except, well, no, I don't want to say too much. I'll say that for the other podcast. But, but it's just so funny sure. that that happened to me with all three of them. That... I liked all three quite a lot initially, and then just my opinion changed. And oh, and then when we got to the second one, I thought, oh, this one is has totally reformed and gotten over the issues I had with the one previous. And then when I saw Sith, I had the exact same feeling, like oh, like this one has fixed whatever I thought was wrong with Attack of the Clones. Um, that's just weird. <laughs> yeah, if you would have asked me the year that, that Revenge, of Sith, Revenge of the Sith came out, I probably would have said. Oh, it's better than Phantom Menace, but Attack of the Clones is still the best one. Oh, no, Completely, it's moron. Oh, no. I held on to that being my favorite of them for a long time. But I didn't rewatch them much after. No, no, no. I liked it, Attack of the Clones, still, but... But, oh, no, no. Sith was by far the best uh, of those three. Yeah, and I won't spoil my thoughts on that one either, but, yeah, I'm gonna... I'm gonna be bringing the heat on that movie, so... (laughs) Okay. Um... Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think what else. Oh, and I, I meant to send you a text the other night, but I was like falling asleep and I just saw. I never sent it because I fell asleep. 
when I was trying to compose it. But I, I've been, I you know, I got that box set recently. I can't even remember the director's name. Jeez. Um, oh, the Chinese uh, director? Yes. I know War is one of his names, one of his three names. Uh, Wong Kar Wai. Uh, mm. So, you know, this is one of my blind buys. I mean, that's basically what I did with the Bergman set. Because I literally didn't know anything about Igmar Bergman. Other than his, I knew his name was famous. That's it. I'd never seen any of his movies. Not even a clip of one of his movies. Um, so, you know, I, that was a very blind buy. Um, and that was the same for this little set, which I think has like five or six movies in it. I'd never heard the guy's name before. Wong Kar Wai. Um, I... Pfft didn't know what kinds of movies he made never seen a clip of one of his movies never seen one of the movies just i had just i just knew that his movie called chunking express i just knew that was a popular seller amongst criterion titles um so that Mm. that individual movie had been on my criterion wish list for years but it was out of print for a while and i was always wanting to buy it because just because it was a popular criterion title and then, boom, they came out with the box set. And I was like, oh, cool. It has that one movie that was out of print. But I got all these other movies. So that's why. I, that's the only reason. I said, screw it. I'll just get this. So I started watching the movies chronologically. Um, and I'm two movies in now. And like I said, I had no idea what to expect. And then I just started watching the first one. And I was like, oh, that was a lot. It was good. It was good. It was really good. Uh, I have a lot of good things to say about that movie. Uh, and I just love that. I love... It doesn't always work. But it. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about when I get a Criterion movie that I have no idea what it is. Like, it's usually going to be something worthwhile. There's been some that didn't work for me. But usually it works. Um, and I don't know. That's just pleasant. But then... But then I was going to say... But is it weird though? Because that box set... It was 100 bucks. I think that's a good price for five or six movies. But is it weird when I could just I could have just watched them streaming on the Criterion Channel? Uh, like, does it justify the perp the purchase when it, it's like, oh, I could have just watched it? Like, it's just sitting there on the streaming service. I could have just press play. I guess it depends on your watch, the way you watch things. Like, if you're more likely to watch it if you buy it, I guess it has more value that way. That is true. Me, I just make playlists constantly. It is true. Having the physical media and spending the money does, it's a more motivating factor. Like, oh, I need to watch this. Also, just because I, the streaming stuff looks great on Criterion. It's just a little bit better. The, the quality of the actual film when you get the, the physical media. And that's another mm. thing I think about. Like, oh, it just, just looks a little, it just looks sharper on the real Blu rays. Oh, and then you. And I'm such a big fan of, uh, you know, movie restoration in general. I love when movies have little featurettes showing how, you know, the before and after stuff. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so the fir- uh, the second movie in the set, so, you know, I watched the whole movie and it was good. And I was like, oh, that's nice. But I guess even I, at a certain point, you start taking for granted um, these restorations by Criterion. I remember I said, oh, I don't know if I said, but, you know, some of the later Godzilla movies in the Showa set 
don't seem like they got the love and care that you know the original Godzilla got, as far as restoration. Because um, I would notice little imperfections in some of the later ones, and it would bug me. Because even though I know whatever, whatever show a movie it is, I know they're not all that. Like all monsters attack, I get it. It's not high cinema, like, but it's still a Criterion release, you know. So there's still certain standards. Uh, can't remember the other one. That was a criterion that seemed a little bit subpar to me. But anyway, so I watched that movie, the second one in the set, and it was good. And I go to the supplemental features, and it's like... I love... Only Criterion has supplemental features that are actual movie length. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah. So one of the supplements on that movie I watched the other day was... Oh, this is a different found print of the same movie you just watched... But there's been some slight edits to the end and the opening. Like, everything else is the same. But it was an, a, an alternate print that was found, like, you know, in another country or whatever. But it's the full-length movie. You know, it's not just the, the edited parts. It's the whole movie from start to finish. And 90% of the movie is exactly the same. But it's unrestored. So they just oh. took the original film footage... And they digitally scanned it, so it's beautiful. So there's no shutter or anything like that, or jitter. So everything is perfectly pristine, but it has all the original scratches and pops and dust, um, even though it runs smooth. And just watching that, I was like, "Wow!" Because it looked like the Grindhouse version, you know, of the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, wow, they didn't like. All of a sudden, I'm like, "Yeah, I'm way too critical." Like when I see like a single piece of dust or something <laughs> on the Criterion Ranch because watching the unrestored version it's pretty wild pretty wild um, so yeah I guess they're doing their job yeah I remember in yeah back in the days of the the, the heyday of the Doctor Who release the classic Who I would start to feel that way too like ah you know these you know I mean it, it's good for what it is but I mean like, how great are these restorations? Especially when they would do, like, the double dips. Remastered. But then you watch, like, the supplemental material of, like, um, they would have, what, what was it? Like, TV promos or stuff like that. Or you'd see some of, like, they would do a little example of what the restoration was. And it was like, holy crap, like, they're doing some amazing work to entertain back in the day. Yeah. And, and I hate that so much of the classic Doctor Who was either preserved or originally produced on videotape. Um, yeah, cause you know, I got this amazing fucking TV. I told you about that. I got myself not too long ago, a month ago, mm-hmm. and it makes everything look be- like my criteria movies look even more beautiful on this television now, but I had got the box set for McCoy season one and I was watching paradise towers and oh. I know it's a widely that one. hated episode. Oh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot. But I had, like, weird nostalgia for it because I watched it a fair amount of mm-hmm. times when it aired, after it aired in the United States. Um, oh, cool. And so, but I hadn't seen it. Like, literally the last time I saw the movie, uh, the, the episode Paradise Towers, I watched it a bunch of times, but the last time was probably circa, like, 1991 or something was the last time I watched it. Um, oh, wow. And I'd always been wanting to kind of see it again ever since 1991. Like, 
to you know to see if my opinion has changed or what the deal is. Um, so I was watching it like two or three, like three weeks ago, four weeks ago, Paradise, three weeks ago, Paradise Towers, and I was like, you know what, I do like this episode actually. I do like this story. Yeah. This is actually a McCoy that I like more than other McCoys. Um, so that was fine. But even though this is the Blu-ray release, you know, that it came out in recent times, mm. just because of the source material, it looks like shit. Looks like yeah. shit. Even though it's on Blu-ray, even though I'm looking at it on this motherfucking amazing television, like there's there's no fixing it. Like, it just looks like shit, because it was recorded pretty much all on video. Um, because I'm sure... Have you, are, have you seen any of the um, the new Blu-rays, the Doctor Who classic ones? Yeah, I was buying them up to a point. I think I've got, like, maybe six or seven of them. But the recent, I think... Oh, three. well, that's, that's, that's practically all of them. So, if you watched, like, um, the Baker... Whether it's the Baker season one or the Baker season seven or the Davison season one, those three and I think those are the best ones I've seen. Yeah, picture quality because yep. you know they Great. show the sixteen millimeter footage and it looks fucking amazing. Um, so but it sucks with the other releases like the McCoy one or yeah, Colin Baker. Uh, yeah, that there's just there's no sixteen millimeter, you know, or at least no source yep. footage that they can. Um, and like god i wish they could because i would love to see some of that shit like with that type of clarity because it makes those davison Mm -hmm. and baker episodes look so nice when they show that stuff um i'm I'm curious if uh because i can't i'm not sure if it's out yet or it's about to be out but the season 16 i think it is the one that has city of death i wonder if they had the original like the good footage of, of the parish streets or not um oh yeah because if they did ha- if they do have it oh, that's gonna look amazing but i don't know you don't know you don't know till yeah you know till <laughs> you see it if they if they did have that original footage or not at hand um it's one of the shames of pertwee my my other favorite doctor him and mccoy so much of his stuff was just sourced from just horrible copies. True. So there's nothing they can do. True, but then like you watch Spearhead from Space, which was you know the first classic on Blu-ray ever, mm-hmm. and it looks really good, right? <laughs> if you've seen it. Oh, no, I've never seen the Blu-ray for that. Oh yeah, I Sean asked me once, like he was like, "Is it worth it?" Uh, and I was like, "Dude, is it worth it?" There's a reason it was the only classic ever released on Blu-ray until the box sets came along. Because the whole story um, was shot entirely on 16mm, which was like never done. I forgot Radio Free Scar mm-hmm. the podcast explained once why that happened. But the entire episode was shot on 16mm, which was not the usual way. And they had the original footage or film... So you get to watch the whole entire thing in, in true HD. Um, and it's fantastic. Because it feels like you're watching like a a Pertwee TV movie or something. Um, <laughs> but that's how that looks, Spearhead from Space. Sadly, though, I don't think that's how it's going to be. I've only watched... Um, what do you call it? Uh, 
Terror of the Autons. I, no, 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 not Terror of the Autons. Mind of Evil, out of the box set, mm. and yeah, that that was all shitty looking videotape. Although, yeah. I was looking at the supplements, and you, you can't judge Mind of Evil too harshly because apparently it was one of those ones that was only available in black and white. And they used the chroma dots, and they made the color version. Oh. So the fact that they made it all color and the color's convincing, I guess you can't, you know, knock them too hard because they got it out of a, a chroma dot. You know, like someone filmed the original film onto video, and then they got the chroma dots, and however the fuck all that shit works. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> it is because the colors feel good for what it is, but yeah, it, a lot of those uh, season. I think it was season eight pertwee yeah it looks really really rough because they've just have bad copies of them black and white copies so i was like this looks like shit but then when they were like oh it came from like a third hand black and white video and i was like oh, okay all right i'll back off <laughs> like because i didn't yeah it's hard to judge <laughs> i couldn't tell that it wasn't original i couldn't tell that it was from black and white you know what i mean like it just looked like it was mm-hmm. regular color um yeah, to entertain, they did some amazing work with that do- those Doctor restorations. I don't. I feel like at this point, like maybe they don't get the credit that they deserve for their heyday. Some fantastic. They don't, stuff. but they always did on Radio Free Scarrow podcast. They mm-hmm. always got their due there, and they used to, and their panels used to be a regular thing um, at Gallifrey. And it's funny, you know, I like to go to conventions in general, but I don't like to go to panels really. <laughs> usually <laughs> oh that's so funny and at gallifrey i never really cared much for panels uh but that was like the one i would want to go to if i did in that the to entertain one or whatever it was called yeah i gotta look this up now there it is so after uh we talked last with uh sean and steve i was just like oh you know i'm gonna put on my tardis tavern playlist let's see what's next on the list it was a radio free scar episode where they recorded a conference they were on called the Yelta Conference. Would have been, I think, 2010. Wow. And I knew that Sean was on it. That's why it was on the playlist. But Shocking Lee showed up on it, too. Just as a guest on uh, Sci-Fi Party Line. It was like a podcaster's panel. Oh, shit. David Huey was on there and shit from Two-Minute two Time Lord. Yeah, and unfortunately, that was me before I knew how to speak in public. Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> Because kind of way younger too. I was super nervous the whole time. Um, like I would have ideas in my head in real time. Like I want to say this, but I didn't know how to like insert myself into the live conversation. I, I wasn't even mm. I wasn't even a very experienced podcaster at that point either, um, in my own right. Um, but forget mm. about in public. And I only spoke briefly, I think, once or twice, very, very briefly, throughout the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember at one point, uh, like, I spoke real quick. And then I think Chip was like, because Chip was sitting next to me, two-minute two, two time, Lord Chip. Mm-hmm. And, and, he, and I think he, like, nudged me or he sent me, he wrote a message on paper, something but somehow he indicated to me like don't slam your hand on the table like while you talk and i i didn't realize that's what i did Hmm. and so then i felt like horribly defeated 
like after the whole experience Aww. because I was like I only spoke twice and when I did speak I was banging on the table like while I was making my point yeah. and I was like oh shit because <laughs> of the mics you know and everything. Yeah, I'll write you the same paper right now for uh yeah just doing that <laughs> oh that's too bad yeah you and Sean were definitely the two that kind of when you guys spoke you rushed quickly through it and then tosses somewhere else i think even sean was like please someone like pick this up so i can stop talking so <laughs> and it's so funny because i told you how he is now um in, in public mm-hmm. speaking um and i'm wildly oh my god we're two totally different people now when it comes to this public speaking because uh, <laughs> it's my job now um and obviously he does it for fun plus even as a lawyer, obviously you you do a certain amount of speaking before the judge. Um, mm. So yeah, that's that's the young version of both of us, like the young timid version. Because I would be totally different if I was in some type of panel now, because of my experience my experience on mic now and 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 talking to strangers and stuff like that. Yeah, this is kind of a random note probably to end this here before we jump to the podcast. Um, but I think I mentioned to you a couple times that I do little, uh, since 2015, I've been doing like a big movie journal uh-huh. where I just write down anything I watch, things like that. Um, and when I finished my first book, I was writing overviews for each year that it took place over. So 2015 to 2018, but I only half finished my overview for, uh, 2017. So I finally was like, ah, screw it. I'm going to go back and try to write that again. Mm-hmm. And it was filled with, uh, listening to SNS in classic horror cast uh like i was watching movies to listen to those and also filled with rbg and for my 2016 one i was like man i was all over the place watching all this star trek for rbg my favorite podcast 2016 and it was kind of surreal thinking oh now i'm producing that podcast well there you go who would have guessed put that in your pipe and smoke (laughs) it i felt that way i had that moment except looking back on it now seems more pathetic than what you said but because because Podshock was the first podcast um, I ever listened to on a regular basis at the very beginning of podcasts. So that was like starting in 2006, I want to say. And that was the podcast I listened to to much more than any other from like 2006 to 2009. Um, And they were like the podcast gods at the time, even though their show was horribly produced um, or not edited. Um, and so I, I worshiped that show. It was my first podcast. It'd be like saying, like, I don't know, I Love Lucy was like your first television show ever because it was a new medium. Um, and so when I got to know Lewis in later years, and we collaborated a little bit here and there, where like I guess it on Podshock once or twice, I uh, I guessed it on his sonic news driver once um we used to talk offline about ideas of collaborating more but those things never actually happened um because at one point we were talking about maybe doing a a sci-fi podcast in general on classic sci-fi um and like it would be the two of us but it just never happened um and whenever i got to speak to him on podshock or anywhere I would just be like, oh my god, like I'm in so I'm so I'm in awe of this person. Who in the grand scheme of things is nobody. Just like I'm nobody in podcasting uh right now. Uh he's 
I mean, he was something back then as one of the pioneers. <laughs> but that's it. I mean, that's all. And of course, and then, you know, what do they say? Like, uh, I don't know how does the saying go, but like uh, something about like you shouldn't meet your heroes or something like that. Or I don't know how that mm. saying goes because it's disappointing. <laughs> so yeah so yeah that's how i felt like you and again the whole reason i created guided who verse in the the first place is because i always wanted to send voicemail to podshock because that was a thing but i but i was like i don't want to just send a voicemail that seems lame so i created the guided who verse to give to lewis to feature on his show and of course he loved it and they featured it and it was a little bit popular for a little while um yeah and the whole reason i decided to make uh cutaway was because they played one of my little segments on Podshock, and then lewis or somebody said or maybe i don't know who said it but somebody was like wouldn't it be cool if there was like a fee that just had that somebody said that and i was like, and that was the impetus for me creating my and originally of course my feed was just going to be a place just to fo- just to post guide to the hoovers but then the new series came around and i wanted to talk about series 10 and then of course series 10 started blowing me away so then the show converted into more of a <laughs> review show when that wasn't really the intention at first yeah i remember always hearing those guide to the hoovers uh little uh bumpers on the tardis tavern i remember uh, I can't remember how I found out that it was you. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know it was on there. But I was like, oh, wow, really? That's Eric? Doesn't sound like him at all. Weird. I didn't think that stuff... I don't remember that stuff being on Tardis Tavern. Yeah, they would do bumpers for all the Doctor Who podcasts. I don't know if people email them in. Oh, yeah. bumpers! Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, now I know what you mean. Yeah, little ads. Oh, but was I, was I doing a guideverse? I mean, a Whoverse one in, in particular? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Whoverse. <laughs> well, again, I don't know if you know... My original speaking voice when I was a taught not a toddler, uh, when I was like in grade school. What do y'all call? What do y'all call the earliest school in 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 Canada? Do you call it elementary school? Uh, kindergarten. Kindergarten, and then what comes after kindergarten? Is it elementary school, like the United States, or is it something else? Primary school. Yeah, yeah. I I think elementary school or first grade. I I'm not too sure. Well, anyway, when I was that age, uh, my natural speaking voice was British. I didn't, I didn't start taking on an American accent until, until I was about eight or nine, and and my original um, American accent was like fake, like um, <laughs> it was it was me doing an American accent, you know, initially. So yeah. It's kind of funny yeah oh but i was also gonna ask uh just to kind of finish this up um did you ever pick up any of the 4k uh doctor discs i don't i think they only did maybe one or two there's only one, there's only one that i'm aware of oh okay maybe just the one i thought they did it with the uh christmas special for matt smith his last one but maybe it was just the peter capaldi one no 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 the only other one that's special is the missy one with the with the cybermen uh whatever the hell that one's called oh god yeah uh, the, the cyberman one where they like walk down the steps and all that whatever that one is yeah death in heaven whatever that was the first part 
Um, Two. But those were released on uh, 3D Blu-ray. Uh, that's so those. Oh, that's right. That's the yeah. only other special. Oh, you know what? They also did the uh, the anniversary special had a 3D release as well. Yeah, yeah, I've got that disc. Um, but uh, no, I believe there's only been one 4K release, and what of it? Oh, just uh, was it worth picking up? I mean, I'm not a big fan of that. Well, if you, well, it's like a collector's item now because it's really it's like out of print and everything. Oh, so uh, I, I think it's worth it. Well, partly because now it's like a collector's item, but uh, not only that, um, it's like a fun thing to have because while it's nothing like watching 2001 on 4K or anything, <laughs> uh, you've never seen Doctor Who so sharp, so you will notice the difference. Um, but see, I, I can't remember though. I, th- I want to say it was 4K, but doesn't have HDR. I hate releases like that by the way um stranger things season one uh uhd is 4k without the without the hdr and uh, 4k by itself is kind of like what's the point well i just looked it up and it does say on on the front of the disc features high dynamic range it's actually available on my amazon for 21 dollars. i might pick that up it's on sale for 40 it's worth it uh i think uh, a little bit annoying that it doesn't come with the Blu-ray version, because uh, at the time I didn't have a lot of 4K players. I now have a million 4K players, but at the time I was like, "Oh, I'm just gonna watch the DVD or the Blu-ray because I'm in another room," and I was like, "Oh shit, no, there is no Blu-ray. It's only the 4K." But no, it's worth it. It's mega sharp. The only thing is, I don't know what it is with England, um, but like whenever you would buy the new series blu-rays so like stuff in the united states is um 1080p on blu-ray uh but oh, i could especially tell if you'd get like the the torchwood blu-ray sets when they came out and then if you read the back of the box all the british stuff always says like 1080i and i don't know if you know the difference between imp when it comes to television but it mm. makes a big difference. And I could always tell how British stuff is 1080i. And I never understand why they do that. Because um, it's not just Doctor Who. I mean, it'd be shit like, I don't know, Downton Abbey or something. I don't know, something. Um, I don't know what. I don't know why the British just got to be weird like that. Like, I get it. There's PAL and NTSC, but actually PAL's better. But, um, but... But when it comes to modern times, why is all their shit 1080i? It doesn't make any sense. Um, and the reason I brought that up is because even though it is 4K and it's super sharp, it has this weird... So 2160 is 4K. It has this weird, almost looks 2160i as opposed to 2160p. Uh, weird. Hmm. Well, I did just buy it, so maybe I'll talk about it next time. I'll watch it again. I've only seen that one once. And I only owned it on digital. I I, I would like to see what it looks like on my new TV, though. Because mm. that could be freaking amazing. Hey, well, now that I've got access to uh, even uh, Mostly Armless Cutaway, we could do some random Doctor Who things every now and again. Absolutely. Feel free to release <laughs> whatever cut bits or whatever you want to call them things. Oh, actually, that's what I was going to do. 
that's something else I was going to mention since you started to produce stuff. I should have it, but it, although I have a bunch of unreleased, actually, if we dig deep into the archives, but no one cares about the old, old shit, um, except for Mark mm. Cockrum. But, and me. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, what, what does deserve a release is um, the last thing that we recorded, um, which is now like three years ago or something, uh, where me and Sean and Josh... I don't know if there was anybody else, but it was for sure us three, at least. Um, oh. Where we discussed... More Jody stuff? <laughs> or... I think it was Series 12. Oh. I think it was Series 12. We discussed Series 12 as a whole in a one-shot. And that's the last thing that was recorded and obviously never released for MHC. So I was thinking that deserves to get put out there sure. i think absolutely i don't mind yeah send it my way <laughs> and I'm, I'm i should i should have the raw footage uh but uh yeah no i'm 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 really excited about rbg and prognate being revived doctor who not so much just because not just because i'm down on the show but because if i'm down on the show and let's say i'm re- reviewing every weekly episode uh, that's i don't know if that's good pod if it's uh mm-hmm. Oh, here they go again, taking a dump on the yeah. newest episode of Doctor Who. I started noticing it, because I don't know if you've never used the TV Time app. I tell everybody, God, if you watch TV shows, this, you've got to have this app. Because what I love about it, aside from that it's the best tracker in the world of knowing what you're watching, um, aside from that, I love how as soon as you finish watching an episode of anything you're watching... You can immediately go there and see what people's feedback is to that particular episode. You know, kind of like watching, kind of like seeing YouTube comments on a particular video. It's kind of like that. And I always like to check things out. That's how I, that's part of how I gauge what other people are thinking about stuff. And I, I've noticed recently on the discovery um, episodes, especially season four, people are starting to fight a lot more in those comment sections. Uh, and the, it's, al- it's always the same thing, which is there's a bunch of people going Yikes. like, oh my God, another fantastic episode of Discovery. Oh my God, you know, so amazing. This and Michael and how she was dealing with this. And oh, she's such a realistic character. You know, the way she deals with her, um, uh, what do you call it? Her, um, her self-doubt, but then how she's able to overcome and, and be strong and emotional. And then you get the other, so you get those comments of people who just fucking love the show. And then you get the ones who go, Star Trek's dead, or, you know, this is the final nail in the coffin. Uh, please, Paramount, end this shit now. Like, enough of this disgrace. Let's get back to what Star Trek truly is. You get those commenters, mm-hmm. and then you get them the two fighting with each other. And lately, I've been seeing a lot of if you guys hate Star Trek so much, why don't y'all just stop watching? Or why don't you just keep your comments to yourself? Or why are you coming on the app and, you know, talking shit? Like, stop stop spoiling everybody else's fun for those of us who are enjoying the show. I've just been noticing a lot more of that lately. So that's interesting to me. <laughs> I love looking at the comments. Tell all my Doctor Who groups were during... Uh... 
season 12 and 13. It's it's everything. It's everything right now. It's Star Trek, Doctor Who, uh, Star Wars. Um, it's about to be the new Lord of the Rings shit. People are going fucking nuts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, no, you've seen that show that that Sean has brought up, right? Or have you seen it? Uh, the one that's on Shudder and that guy is like the host. Oh, Joe Bob Briggs. <laughs> yes, that one. Have you watched that at all? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Not not a ton. Okay, so you, so you... But I mean, you get what he does, like how he opens the movie or whatever it is. Elvira, but he's got his own particular... Yes, yes. Like, I, me and Sean had a conversation not too long ago, offline, just the two of us, and I was just saying... I was like, how does that guy get to do that? I mean, I get it. He's in the industry to some degree, you know, knows people. But I was like, we could do that. Oh, I was telling him, that'd be the dream. <laughs> not that we ever started doing podcasting for any type of monetary benefit or anything. Um, but I told him like, I was like, I was like, we could do what he does, you know, just like simply introduce whatever schlocky movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think we could just be just as entertaining as him. And Sean was like, yeah, I think so. Or maybe that's us like blowing smoke up our own asses. But, <laughs> and I told him that'd be the dream. Not that I've ever thought I'd ever make anything out of podcasting, but if we had enough notoriety, like the Rift Tracks guys, like, like if we could go to the Draft House movie theaters and just be some guys who just BS for like three minutes before like some type of special showing for something, like for some culty movie, I was like, I would love for us to be able to do like a three minute intro at the Draft House, and then people obviously watch the movie, and then we'd like host a Q and A after. Mm-hmm. And Sean was like, Oh fuck, I would love that. I'm like. Fuck yes. That'd be awesome. Oh my god. I would fucking love that. I would do that for free. If yep. the draft house would let us. I think we could pull it off. Back in the TARDIS Tavern, uh, Sean and Steve occasionally would talk about how they wanted to host their own Doctor Who convention. And that was essentially what they said. They'd be like, yeah, we could like play like something to be like the feature and then just yeah, do a little Q&A podcast afterwards. Talk about that a lot. Oh man. I think we could totally, after, especially after I saw him MC his mystery dinner theater whatever oh i i know we could pull it off we could totally pull it off and people would think it was entertaining but anyway what is this you sent me oh yeah when we were talking about star wars i just kept staring at it the whole yeah. time isaac bought me this one day when i came to pick him up he's like here i got you this i thought you'd like it and i was like really a star wars poster but the reason he, he said he got it was because the two ewok movies were included i didn't realize until i opened it up <laughs> it's pretty cool. I like this poster overall. However, some of these covers are pretty cool, and then some are like, mm-hmm. like they mailed it in. Yeah, like The Last Jedi, uh, Rogue One, <laughs> Revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith, I think, is actually pretty comical. They just focus on the demon eyes. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like thriller. But the solo one looks cool. Yep. Attack of the Clones looks like looks like a um, book to book to cd in the 90s oh yeah looks like one of the dune books one of the editions that they used to do for like heretics of dune or something but overall that's a 